University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11. We are in the second part of our conversation and UBC's core value of discipleship. Discipleship is one of my favorite Greek words, akulutheu. Say that several times and it'll tie your tongue, which literally translates follower of or one who becomes like. So discipleship is about following Jesus. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And the book of Hebrews has quite a lot to say about discipleship. It's a very fascinating book. For, for one thing, Hebrews is the longest of the, Hebrew, or of the New Testament letters that we have. However, we don't really know who wrote it. The context is clear, however. The church community is facing difficulty. Whether persecution or believers falling away, the author is trying to draw them back to the focus of Jesus and the work of transforming God's world. Some might say the verses this morning are very challenging, while others might say they're encouraging. Some of them might say they are calling someone forth, while others might say it is negative reinforcement. You'll be the judge of that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say that is hard to explain. Since you have become very dull in your understanding, great start to the scripture verse, right? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again about the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us go on towards perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings of Christ and not laying again the foundation, repentance from the dead works and faith towards God, instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal life. And we will do this if God permits. For most people, um, when you spend just a few minutes with me, you would categorize me as an extrovert. Um... I'm actually was categorized as an ambivert. So I can be extroverted, like being up here and being sociable, but I actually work better when I'm just kind of quiet uh, and to myself. Um, And so after worship today, I will need to go to my quiet Andy space. But if you had asked my uh, school grade teachers growing up um, and told them that I'm an ambivert, they would have literally laughed themselves to death. Um, because I can specifically think of several teachers, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of grade 2nd all the way through 12th grade, where they would say that I was the most extroverted student in class. Really, I was the class clown. Uh, This primarily is due to the fact that I am the baby of three boys in my family, and so starving for attention from my two brothers, I went forth into the... Oh, I forgot I put that picture in there. How lovely. (laughs) So seeking attention, I would act out, getting, trying to get the approval of my peers. I'm not blaming my brothers for any of this. They are to blame for all of this. For nearly 10 years of my life, um, after the first week of school, I was typically reassigned to what was called the Andy table. 
and it's where Andy sat so that he didn't distract himself and others. Um, And I can still remember the pain look of frustration and disappointment and bitterness on the face of my teachers. And sometimes the Andy table transferred over to the lunch table because that's what you do to middle school kids who can't shut up in class. You put them at a lunch table by themselves, which does great things for their self-esteem in those early teenage years. Honestly, when I close my eyes and I hear these words from the writer of Hebrews, I imagine them from the lips of my grade school teachers. Let's put it this way. The writer is not going to win the Compassionate Pastor of the Year Award, that's for sure. Dull, hard of hearing, baby, elementary, unskilled, these are not exactly the accolades of of something you want to hear from someone else. Listen how Eugene Peterson translates one of these verses in the message. So come on, let's leave the the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. I feel the author is just overwhelmingly just screaming at us, stop being a baby, and I just want to respond back, you stop being a baby, you, you baby. One person put it this way, I always wondered why babies spend so much time sucking their thumbs until I tasted baby food. Do you recall that, that transition in your life when you went from baby food to normal food? Of course you don't, but it was a traumatic experience because... Um, have, you, have you tasted baby food recently? It's, just listen to some of these flavors. Organic pears, mango, spinach, and super chai. Mm, that sounds delicious. Oh, wait about this mix. Organic apples, spinach, peas, and broccoli mushed together. That sounds like a flavor that all of us wants to dance on our tongue. But this is the best one. Root vegetables and turkey quinoa. That just sounds like a punishment for anyone. Baby food, dear God, why baby food? When you're six months old, a medium rare prime rib with a baked potato and a glass of 1890 Dom Perignon and a slice of chocolate cake isn't exactly going to grace your palate. For one, you don't have the teeth to chew on that type of compound and solid food. Second thing, diapers for a baby are already messy. Can you imagine what Texas best cattle would do to the diaper of a baby. See, baby food is, is necessary. It's necessary evil. It, it, it helps our bodies mature and develop to grow and to flourish. And as our bodies develop, so too uh, does our necessity of substantial and advanced and, and dynamic food. It's called baby food for a reason. So stop and consider your faith journey. Only you can measure the depth and commitment that you have to Christ. These were the questions that we considered last week. Do we tend to follow Jesus, the Jesus that's easy? Do we find spirituality that's only fast and empty and cheap? What if that's not what Jesus has in mind for us? That's where this text is going here. The author seems to be stern and abrasive and honest. This isn't the tone throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews. In fact, the author overwhelmingly seems uh, compassionate and endearing throughout the letter. So we can draw the assumption that he or she has received some sort of report from this specific faith community that people were falling away from Christ. They were seeking after what was easy. And in fact, the author is trying to call them to something more In chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us go towards perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings of Christ and not laying again the foundation. So why the direct tone? 
Could it be that this is an example that we often need Scripture to, to shock and convict and transform us? Could it be that while we might not like it, we don't need people to always pamper us? Oftentimes we need someone who can be a compassionate voice of authority and truth in our lives. You see, the author is, is trying to push them to something greater because the author knows there's something better for them. And so he's charging them to moral and ethical and intellectual and spiritually, he's calling them to more by learning and practicing the way of Jesus, by becoming more like Christ. He's calling them to a conscious decision to, to grow up, to mature, to become the full person that God has designed for them. The late James W. Fowler, scholar and theologian, who's a professor of ethics at Emory University Center of Ethics, came up uh, with a great uh, uh, way of explaining all this and what he calls the stages of faith. He argued that there's six stages of faith, and I really wish we had time to go into each of these, but in reality, I spent an entire semester in seminary just on these six stages of faith. So what do we need to know? Fowler argues that there are six potential stages of faith in our journey. Um, I say potential because each individual decides whether or not they progress into what's deeper and fuller and more vibrant of a spiritual journey. So stages one through three are really reserved for young children and adolescents. It's in this stage of faith of naivety. It's, it's progressing into something a bit more concrete, literal thinking, and into a conformist faith. In other words, my faith is really uh, the duplication of what I heard, have heard from my parents, from my pastor, from religious leaders. And they see in these stages that we really we really can't see the world and belief outside of what we have been told. And so stages one through three are all about being spoon-fed faith. However, in stage four, when things start to get really interesting, it's when you and I are challenged to own our faith. It's asking difficult questions. It's here that we have to make a conscious decision whether or not we will take responsibility for our faith. And so what's fascinating is that many people enter into stage four just to revert back to stage three, because that's easier for someone else to tell us what to believe. What's fascinating, even in stage four, is that we begin to judge people who enter into stage five and six because we can't understand how they can really view things so outside of the box and in world experiences. But it's in these stages five and six, these person takes responsibility for their spiritual development. The individual sees a deeper vibrancy to the life journey with God. People in this faith seem to, uh, to step into a, a connection of their belief and their worldview, the beautiful, harmonious blend of faith and spirituality and living. Where do you see yourself within the stages of faith? Do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? They're important characters in, in the Bible, uh, considering they're called the, the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Hebrew people. And when we think about Abraham and Sarah, we probably don't think about, um, we think about them as great people of faith, but we don't remember is that they didn't always begin that way. In fact, they're a perfect example of these stages of faith. When we're introduced to Abraham, he is this young man still living in his father's tribe. His faith is his father's faith. However, the story quickly begins to move forward as he has a crisis of faith because God speaks to him and invites him into a different journey. God doesn't give him the specific geographic location. He doesn't promise exactly what will happen, but God simply says, go to the place that I will show you. There I will make 
a great nation out of you. I will bless you, and you will bless the world. And so Abraham had a choice to stay where it was comfortable, what was provided, or venture out into something deeper. He wouldn't be called the patriarch of the Hebrew people if he had decided to stay in an infantile stage of faith. So the question I want us to consider this morning is this, why does a deeper spiritual development, why is it so important? These were the questions that Abraham and Sarah asked at the beginning of the narrative we pick up. It sounds like engaging in a journey with God that, that they would get a child out of the deal, that they would be a, a great nation. And so oftentimes you and I are only willing to push forward in our faith if there's going to be something that results to benefit us. But there's something deeper and more life-giving than a spirituality that's based on tangible consumer results such as a child or a great nation. God was inviting Abraham and Sarah into something more meaningful, into a full life, into wiser and healthier decisions, a deeper connection with God, a more mindfulness of the world around them and how God wants them to act in this world. And so, too, the invitation of Jesus is the same into a more meaningful and full life, into wiser and healthier decisions, into a deeper connection with the Creator, a more mindful way of seeing the world and how God calls us forth into the world. I recently made a purchase from Amazon, and it was curious because at checkout they gave me two different options. One price, they would just send it to me as it came in the box. But for a much more expensive price they would assemble it for me and then ship it to me. A parent's worst nightmare on Christmas Eve is to open a box that says, Assembly Required. <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, my parents gave uh, the girls for Christmas an uh, outdoor playset, And um, I knew I was um, up the creek without a paddle when I showed up by myself to the store to pick it up, and this thing weighed 300 pounds. Somehow I had to get it in the car, get it out of the car, and get it to the place I was going to put it. And then I opened the box, and um, there was 2,000 pieces in this box. Some assembly required, more, more like mucho grande assembly required. I know the one Spanish-speaking person here is going to be like, that's not how you say it. I can't go forward in the story because that's not how you say it. So we spent six to seven hours putting this together. The day we put it together, it was 15 degrees in North Carolina with the wind chill. I felt like my hands were sticking to the metal parts as I was putting together. But we got it together. Except in the fall of 2016, when Hurricane Matthew came through North Carolina, I began to watch as a huge oak tree fell in our backyard and landed right on top of the playset. And like a parent who sees their child falling down on a playground, I ran outside and I grabbed an axe and I started cutting the tree to relieve the pressure. And, and after it was all said and done, I had to do the work of putting new wood in to fix this thing to put it back together. So some assembly was required and it was continued well afterwards. When it comes to venturing into a deeper spiritual journey, mucho assembly is required. It takes earnest work to build the building blocks of our faith. To build our faith, we must do essential things each and every single day. And prayer, it sounds so cliche, but it's true. Scripture teaches us that we must pray ceaselessly, meaning that we should never tire or stop praying. 
Prayer is a lifeline. Prayer in the morning, prayer in the middle of the day, prayer when we're in anxiety, prayer before we step into conflict, prayer as we engage others, prayer before we put our head down at night. The great Henry Nouwen put it this way, prayer is joy, joy and experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved. A spiritual life without prayer is like a gospel without Christ. To pray, I think, does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to think and to live in the presence of God. So prayer is an essential building block to a deeper spiritual journey. But God's word is also essential. Yet another cliche. Scripture is not intended for us to just spit out cliche phrases and verses that make us feel good about ourselves. We pretty much covered that last week. If you weren't here, just listen to the podcast. Scripture is intended to put us into a place of meditation and deep thinking and process with others. As James puts it in James 1, we cannot merely be people who hear the Word of God. Instead, we're called to hear, to understand, and to live it out each day. So in engaging Scripture and prayer matters, but there's something so much more that we can do. Often we leave it right there, right there on the surface level, right there where infantile and steady maturation splits. Let's go back to this narrative of Abraham and Sarah for just a moment. They stepped beyond their elementary faith into a deeper spiritual journey, yet along the way they lost their way. They began to doubt God's timing in all things because God promised them that God would give them a child to bring forth this great nation. Yet they became so impatient, they convinced themselves that maybe if Abraham slept with Sarah's handmaid, that that might be the way that God wants to bring this child into this world. They lost their pattern of living and choices. You see this in the classic stages of uh, four of faith, a place of difficult questions and messy spirituality. And if you know their story, you know that it got really messy. After the son grows up, God told Abraham to sacrifice the son. Another difficult stage of spiritual judgment. Of course, God was not going to allow Abraham to sacrifice the son. It was merely another important chapter in refining and maturing and developing Abraham's spirituality. Yet time and time again, they're faced with these opportunities to grow out of their infantile faith and grow into something more. And I'm sure most of us would agree that we're not hoping that God asks us to sacrifice our child. With the exception if you have middle school children right now, you might be asking God, no offense middle schoolers, I love you too. You know, you spit a spitball in the back of my head when I turn. But if we really push past this infantile stage of faith, really growing out of the simple spirituality and into a deeper and fuller and vibrant and more mature faith, then there's some things that we need to do. We've already briefly spoken about praying and reading Scripture, but these things can translate into a few key things I want to share with you this morning. The first thing is that we must engage deeply in spiritual conversations with others. Do you remember another famous Hebrew passage? Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, the writer is trying to remind them, to assure them that this faith journey is not an individualized solo mission. In the words of Hermione Granger, when are you going to realize, Harry, that we're in this together? 
One of the essential building blocks of our faith is that we engage in meaningful dialogue together. And as a faith community, we try very deeply to do this. One of the first ways we do this is is Sunday school, this spiritual formation hour on Sunday morning. And I know it just seems like something else to add to an already busy week, especially when there's a 7 p.m. kickoff the night before. Yet this one-hour initiative on Sunday morning is so important for us. It allows us to come into a safe space where we can learn and grow together, where we can build community together, when we can push and ask each other those difficult questions of our faith, where we can grow and become a people of God together. Connect groups is another way that we can grow and dialogue together. What a marvelous place to gather and like interests, whether it be hiking or I don't know what your thing is, underwater basket weaving, whatever you do, it's in, when we shape our lives together, we can strengthen our trust and willingness to engage in real and meaningful conversations. Later this fall, we're starting a theology and church history conversation group on Wednesday nights. Meeting twice a month, our hope is to engage the challenging questions about God, our history with God, and what do we do with all of this? You see, engaging in deeply spiritual conversations helps nudge us to, away from a projected and prescriptive faith and into a dynamic and owned faith. The second thing I would suggest to us is resist cliche religiosity. What is fast and easy and comfortable and popular, we really did cover that last week, but, but when spirituality comes down to something that's so easily formed in a short cute phrase, is it really calling us to something deep and mature? Resist it. Rebel against it. As parents, have you ever had those moments where you see yourself in your children? Uh, Madison is looking more and more like me. She has my face shape. She has my freckles, um, but she really looks like her mom, thank God. Um, Aubriana, on the other hand, looks like Jennifer, but that child is just like me. Uh, she is a goober, she is opinionated, she is passionate, she's feisty. When she was younger, Aubriana's favorite pastime at meals was to throw her food all over the table and the ground, which the dogs were happy with because they just sat there in great anticipation of what was going to fall off the table. Meals with Aubriana are, are messy. They're messy. Have we been told that it's okay that our spiritual development can be messy? That's the last thing I want us to hear this morning. For us to step out of something infantile and into something deep, we must understand that it's going to be messy. But we need to accept it and lean into it. Just ask Abraham and Sarah how messy it was for them to step out of their homeland and into something new. These adventures in Egypt, running from, for their lives, the encounter with Sodom and Gomorrah, the 50-plus years of waiting for a baby, the mistake of using a servant woman as a childbearer, the endless periods of doubt. Again and again, it was so messy, but in the messiness, they became more. One of my favorite authors, Mike Iaconelli, gives us some profound words in the book, Messy Spirituality. It's a bit of a lengthy quote, but, but it's worth it. I want a messy spirituality. It's a spirituality that's unfinished. It's not neat. It's not balanced. It's not ordinary. It's complicated. It's sloppy. It's chaotic. It's ups and downs. If anything, but finished and complete. I want a messy spirituality that doesn't give us false appearances that I have everything together. 
The truly holy people I've met in my life are really interesting people. They're a mix of the most incredible godliness and at the same time, the most unbelievable earthliness. I know a woman who curses like a sailor, but she's the most holy woman I know. She is. I'm not kidding. We've created this image of what holiness looks like that's just nonsense. Good, holy people probably drink too much at times, have colorful language, and there's plenty of room in the Bible for people just like that. We have to see life for what it is, entirely more complicated than simple. Spirituality is not simple. It's complicated, and it gets messy at times. We've had in our mind that that Jesus simply wants us to accept life is going to be perfect. The prosperity gospel in America preaches that. In fact, that's the type of spirituality that's so easy. When we don't get it, where life is, isn't perfect, when it's ugly and hurtful, we charge God with the crime of, of sedition for not giving us the life we thought we should have. Life is messy. Relationships are messy. Questions are messy. Growth is messy. Spirituality is messy. God is inviting us to accept the messiness and lean into it. So here we are, the author of Hebrews is saying. Do you want root vegetables and turkey, mushed organic pears with spinach, or something more substantial? Jesus is inviting us out of an infantile faith and into substantial maturity. Will you allow God to begin to shape and build you into something more? Will we together engage in spiritual dialogue that pushes us further and further into spiritual development? Can we discover the beautiful and vibrant journey that comes by becoming more like Jesus?